Hello. Hello, can I speak to Ashley Griffin, please? Hi, who's this? This is Jay Michaels. Hey, it's Ashley. How are you? Very well. If I'm on the line, you're on the air. Congratulations. Oh, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Is this live already? Oh, uh, well, it's sort of recorded, but uh, I'm, but all of it's going to happen, so, so, so be brilliant okay. on every word. Uh, okay. uh, my apologies for changing schedules all over the place. I had no idea how many people wanted to... To, to talk about what's going on, and, and oh, so no I'm worries. thrilled. No worries. Uh, congratulations again. You're my first stranger. Uh, I, oh, well, thank you. I, I, I know many in the industry, and I've been chatting with them, but you're the first person that, like, this is my first meeting. So tell me and all our listeners about yourself. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, hey, my name's Ashley. I'm a performer and writer. Um, I guess I'm trying to think of what I'm most well-known by. Well, okay, this, it sounds like I made it up every time I say it, but... I'm the first person to be nominated for a major award for both playing and directing Hamlet. It's true. There are wow. articles been written. Um, I'm the author of the Twilight Harry musical that played at New World Stages, as well as the off-Broadway hit play Trial recently that was directed by Lori Petty. Uh-huh. Um, I've, as an actor, I've been on Homeland. I was in The Greatest Showman. Um, I've performed extensively on and off-Broadway. Um, you can check out more about me on my website, ashleygriffinofficial.com. A-S-H-L-E-Y-G-R-I-S-S-I-N official.com and I'm on social media. So, yeah, I'm a performer. Uh, I'm a writer. I also direct. And that's, I guess, me in five seconds. Well, so, there you go. Yeah. You you have intimidated me. Uh, oh, no. Not only no. is my first stranger, uh, my uh, not only are you my first stranger, you're a celebrity. Oh, I'm so pleased to be able to speak oh. to you. You're very sweet. Oh, <laughs> And, and I'm a Hamlet junkie, so the moment you said that you're, uh, uh, you directed and played Hamlet, uh, you, yeah. you got, uh, thou hast well, got my attention. We'll have to have a much longer conversation about that, because I have all kinds of things to say about Hamlet. I love that play. I would listen forever. I did, and I'm not kidding. I've done 12 productions of it. I've directed wow, it. I, I was, uh, I was Rosencrantz in another production. Mm-hmm. I was Guildenstern. I was the grave digger. I was uh-huh. Polonius. I was oh. Claudius. Uh, I'm too young for Polonius. Uh, not with lots of shoe polish in my hair. Uh, oh, okay. And and I'm not as I, I I guess I sound younger than I am. Uh, and uh, and I've directed it. I also did a, a short film version of it. Uh, I've nice. produced it. Uh, blah 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 blah. Uh, well, we should chat. We should chat. I would love chat with you and maybe collaborate on something, because our production, we partnered with Emma Watson's He for She campaign, and it dealt with issues of gender equality. So um, hmm. the idea was Hamlet was a woman who had been raised as a man for succession purposes, and Ophelia was a man who'd been bullied his whole life for being too sensitive. Oh, my and, God. Yeah, and so, and our Rosencrantz and Guildenstern were the queen bees of Wittenberg. They were like the Gretchen Wieners and Regina George. And they doubled as the grave diggers, so like in, in death they were, you know, forced to suffer together for all eternity. And we ha- and Horatio was the only woman in the military, and then everybody else was, I guess, for lack of a better description, gender appropriate. And it took place five minutes in the future in a totalitarian state. We did it very minimalistic. We had two chairs, um, a fake security camera, and a projector. And we did it in three hours with an intermission, cut almost nothing. And we got to do a lot of outreach to schools and whatnot. And it made kind of a really big impact because the point of the piece was we're all Hamlet and we're all Ophelia. 
And so suddenly, slightly misogynistic lines like frailty by name as woman became self-directed. And every time Ophelia is referred to as like, you know, you speak like a green girl, it was basically that sort of like, man up, stop being such a sissy. <gasps> and Hamlet and Ophelia on stage together, they visually look like a gay couple. They're actually a heterosexual couple. Hamlet looks like they could be um, trans or a butch lesbian. And so the ultimate point of the whole thing is we're all Hamlet and we're all Ophelia. And we had young people in the audience at every performance crying and lamenting, like, I'm Ophelia. I never realized that. I've never seen that side of me as a man represented on stage. It's the same thing with women being like, oh, my gosh, I'm totally Hamlet, and I never realized it. And it was a really powerful production. It came back another, like the year after we did it initially, and I've been dying to get up another commercial production. So if you have any interest in chatting, I would love to chat with you further. I have it. every interest in chatting, and you've just intimidated me for yet another time. I thought how brilliant I was. I had Ophelia die of an overdose in a modernized production. No. Boy, boy, aren't I, aren't I progressive. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That, that all sounds amazing. And, yes, I definitely want to talk to you about all of that. Let's talk about... To do that, yeah, sure. in, indeed. Once we're able to leave our houses, now, now, yeah. now, you say about you, yeah. your production took five took place five minutes into the future. Okay, well, the future right. is now. What's going on with you these days? As as we're both sitting in our, our apartments talking to each other. Well, I'm a Broadway artist, and um, I earn like ninety nine percent of my income from being a Broadway artist. Mm. At the moment, um, I also teach at Columbia and occasionally NYU. And literally overnight, I went to having zero income whatsoever. Oh, my gosh. And it, it's been, honestly, it's been really terrifying. And, you know, for a lot of people, like, who work in front of house of Broadway theaters and stuff, most people don't have a union. Um, there's no security blanket for people. There's no sick, pay, paid sick leave. Um, it's, been, it's been really, really terrifying. And I think that people aren't really aware I think I think a lot of people who aren't in the industry have this idea of, oh, if you're on Broadway, then you make tons of money, you live in a great apartment, you have all these protections, so, like, it's fine, you're getting through it. That's not the way that it works. And also, like, as a writer, a lot of pieces of mine were, you know, we were having production meetings, and those have all been, in that, like, delayed for who knows how long, and there's so many people out there who had gigs, their shows got canceled, gigs that they had booked are now not happening. Right. I mean, it's... it's devastating and it's really really terrifying and um we're, we're really in need of help and solidarity and a lot of things but the, i mean the world's kind of gone upside down but but the entertainment industry and the broadway industry have been hit very very hard and it's been really difficult you know being a member of that community so it, it, it was brought home to me many many years ago i had a a, a, a day job and the uh I was I was working as a reporter to, at the Daily News, and and at that point the Daily News went bankrupt and whatever, and so so many people were let go instantaneously. And the one comment that was made to me when they shook my hand and sent me out the door without anything, without any uh, 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 life save, without any life, uh, was, "Oh, that's okay. You, you're a professional actor. You'll you'll be fine." And and I remember thinking, "Oh, how stupid you are." And and yeah. you're right. It's been brought home. I I, uh, I watched Rosie O'Donnell's, and there's no other word for it, the telethon, uh, the yeah. other the other night. And and I have so many uh, colleagues who work on Broadway, who yes, all of a sudden they have gone from from one to another. And you're right. The the, the world yeah. thinks, oh, you're on Broadway. You're a big star. You have millions of dollars. No, no, right. that's not the case at all. 
Well, and how many people with effects, like how many front of house people, how many behind the scenes people, people who don't have protection. Oh my God, yeah. And, you know, like, like they don't get paid sick leave. And that was another thing of, that a lot of people were dealing with before the shutdown happened of people saying like, even if I get sick, I'm going to have to keep coming to work because I don't get paid sick leave. And otherwise, like, I'm going to starve. I have two friends who are doctors, and yes, the, yeah. they were told, if you get sick, take a day off and come back. Right. <sighs> right. So, yeah, you're, you're right. And, and side things, like, I was, um, I'm very fortunate. I have a, a podcast on the onstage um, blog network that I do for the love of it. I don't get paid for it at the moment. Um, but I, I have a great relationship with them. And I got asked to write a review because I was one of the only people who saw Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. It played, nine, it played nine previews. Right. And then closed. Mm. I saw the very first preview of it. And because, to my understanding, I mean, I could be wrong, but because it never officially opened, I don't think it's ever going to be reviewed. And so I got asked and was very honored to write a review of it to the Page Network so that... I don't know if it's going to matter at all, but at least there's some archive of the show and there's something that they could pull. And it was extraordinary. And in all honesty, and keep in mind, I have not seen everything that's on Broadway this season, but I'm clearly going to go out there and say, I hands down believe we're in that cap with one telling you the best actress if that show had opened. And of course, it makes every difference that you're doing that. Yeah. How many shows, how many shows yeah. are going to disappear? I deal with a lot of independent yeah. artists. How many off and off off Broadway shows are now completely invisible and have no money to get started again? Yeah. It's it's yeah. horrendous. Well, one of the things, and I'm a, I'm a very very proud member of Actors Equity, and I really I, I think Kate Chindle is brilliant, and I'm I'm very very thankful for all the advocacy that they're doing. Um, but I really do think that the filming of um, theatrical pieces needs to somehow be rethought. Thank um, you. Because. For, for example, I mean, I understand where it's coming from, and they're definitely trying to protect everybody, but the world's also very different, and, like, this, this is an example. Gosh, I'm so scared I'm going to get in trouble for talking about this. Um, but, like, you know, there's a lot of, like, showcase productions out there. Yes. Saying, you know, can we show broadcasts and, like, provide some entertainment for people? And it was like, no, you can't. And, you know, I just, I, I, I think that we're going to have to, moving forward, rethink the way the, the entire world works with it. I mean, we're having to rethink schooling. We're going to have to rethink the art. Um, but I hope that this also lets people really be aware of how important the arts are because, I mean, what's everybody doing at home? They're sitting and binge-watching entertainment. Of and course. reading books. Of course. And so I think that we really, you know, we need we need to be appreciative for, you know, the people that provide that level of entertainment for us all the time. You know, just think about what you would be doing right now if you couldn't watch movies or TV or read a book or watch television. We, you, know, so I think that, yeah. you will not get in any trouble as far as, I, well, <laughs> okay, I'm telling you, I wouldn't put you in trouble for this. Uh, I think it's well, such a brilliant, you. it's a brilliant thought. How many people go to school and learn about the great legends of Broadway and all maybe they have yeah. is 30 seconds of a home movie or a cam right. phone that they have that they see them. What yeah. kind of benefit would it be if we could watch yeah. Mary Martin, Ethel Merman, Jerry Orbach, whatever? Yeah. And nowadays, the the great work on Broadway, why can't it become archival? If there's some sort of agreement so that it's... Yes? Yeah, most, of it, most of it is archived in the Lincoln Center Library, and you can go watch it, and I'm so thankful for that, and that's tremendous. I mean, I really do think that the union is trying to protect us in the sense that 
this, the rules really came about kind of after a chorus line, and there has been numerous, numerous instances of actors being really burned where people did film productions and then sold them of and course. made a lot of money, and the artist saw nothing. And so I think that being protected from that is very important. But for example, when I was like six, my incredible mom got me the a, a tape of the old Broadway performances on the Ed Sullivan show. Oh, yeah. And because of that, when I was like six, my life's goal became to be the first female Anthony Newley because <laughs> I saw him perform Who Can I Turn To? I was blown away by this such, such a unique performance in person. And then to find out that he was the first person ever to be nominated for Best Book, Best Score, and Best Actor for the same show in the same year. And so, at six, because I got to see that archival footage, I was like, I want to be the first female Anthony Newley. Um, So, there has to be a middle ground so that these things can be recorded without without any damage to to the artist. Because I I completely agree with you on that. Uh, And I do know artists that really have been damaged, and I'm very thankful that their interests are being looked out for, and I don't want that to happen. But I do think that we're living in a changing society, and we've just got to maybe figure figure a middle ground out somehow. Well, 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 you said it yourself. You, you, you saw the most incredible performance, and now it will disappear. And, and over the technicality of previews, it may never appear again, and there'd be no record of it. So th- there has to be something that can be done that can help the act, that makes sure the actors aren't, aren't uh, uh, manipulated, but at the same point so that, that posterity can have them. Oh, what a brilliant, well, what a brilliant it idea. Also a tricky, it was also a tricky situation now because, I mean, um, and the Hangman, which Martin McDonough is one of my all-time favorite writers, and I was so devastated not to be able to go see it. Mm-hmm. You know, it closed as well. But I mean, it's also a Catch Twenty Two in that even if they could, you know, archive it for the public, which there are more toward doing that. You know, there's Broadway HD and stuff, right? But it's unlikely that they would have done so in the first nine previews because that's the time for them to, you know, get really solidified with their show. Exactly. But still. And, and I said in my review, I'm like, you know, I'm reviewing the first preview performance, which is when no critics are ever, like, allowed the room. Right. And with that knowledge, I still think it was phenomenal and that she would have won the Tony Award. Like, that's how good it was. Imagine what it would be by opening night. And, and I, I, forgive me, I can't remember her name, but the wonderful actress who played Honey was making her Broadway debut. Oh. Oh, no. Broadway debut, and she'll never even be reviewed. Oh, you know, and she was phenomenal. Everybody, go go look up her name and cast her because you know that should have been her big break. Yeah, um, Rupert. Ever everybody in the show was was phenomenal. Um, and Hangman, I'm devastated that I won't get to see. But all the other shows that are you know that are hurting. You know, I did one of my podcast episodes recently was on the economics of Broadway because a lot of people don't understand how it really works. Right. And I really broke down how it works and how it's affecting what's going on now. But, um, you know, it's a, a lot of these shows are going to seriously take a major hit. And it's going to really affect, you know, shows that these producers then have in the pipeline and ability to jump on board new works. And the federal government really needs to do something to help the entertainment industry because this is a lot bigger than shows just shutting down for a couple weeks. This is not like an easy thing, and it affects thousands and thousands of people. In your educated opinion, in your educated opinion, thinking five minutes from now, uh, when this is lifted and and the doors reopen, what's yeah. the what's the art world going to be? I've had I've had colleagues say, "Oh, it's going to be wonderful. Everything's going to be cheaper prices. Everyone's going to be running because they want to be together with people." Others are going to say, "You know, the the last row is going to be nine hundred dollars." 
what what do you think uh, Broadway and off? What do you think the art, the state of the art in New York, is going to be when uh, when we can all stop wearing masks? Well, I think it's going to really depend on how long it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's a matter of like a month. Or if, if we're like in the conversation of weeks, which is looking like that's not what it's going to be, but no. it's just a matter of weeks, I think it's more likely to spring back a little more quickly. It's yeah. not. Um, the mayor's not looking at anything until June. He's saying April and May are, are might even be worse than March. So, so here's the other thing for people to keep in mind. So let's say that it let's say that it extends like till till the summer. Right. That means that the Tony Awards isn't going to happen. Right. Which a lot of shows desperately rely on the Tony Awards. I mean, that's yeah. why there's always this big push, and then like the day after the Tonys, a bunch of shows that didn't win things all put up their closing notices. Of course. Because shows need the moniker of like, you know, Tony Awards winner, you know, to sell tickets to things. And then summer is is one of the big, is, is the big swap season for Broadway anyway. And then shows start to reopen in the fall. Yeah. Um, because, you know, New York's not really the big summer vacation destination, you know. No, it's the it's the holiday place. It's the winter wonderland. It's the summer everyone goes where there's a, a bigger beach than we have, apparently. Right. And I think that the other thing to keep in mind is because of what everybody's suffering economically, with the, with the exception of people that are able to do their jobs at home and are still earning their, you know, weekly or monthly income, mm-hmm. most people like me are not spending money on anything. You know, they're spending money on, you know, rent and bills and things that, you know, we're desperately praying that there's a freeze on. But, you know, we're not buying clothes. We're not buying. Right. We're not buying anything. Yeah. And so when the theaters suddenly open, everybody's going to be completely financially depleted. It's not like, oh, great, now I can go and spend my money on some entertainment. It's going to be like, I have no money to spend, period. Right. Now, there, there's different there's different levels to this. I'm sure there's going to be people that are not struggling as much financially right now that are going to be like, oh, dear God, I need human contact, and they're going to rush to the theaters. But is that going to be enough to really fill the theaters and keep them running through the summer months that are a slump anyway, I don't know. And I think the bigger thing that it's going to be a problem with is shows that were slated to open in the fall. Yeah. They're still going to really be able to because now, you know, theoretically, you've, you've had shows that are trying to hold on to their cast. They're trying to hold on to their investors. They're trying to, you know, keep money coming in to get them into their theaters and, I'm I'm concerned that there's going to be a huge swing of in the fall of shows just not opening. Right, right. Um, now the flip side that I think could be great theoretically is if there's suddenly a bunch of empty theaters because things had to close. That things that might not have normally ended up on Broadway suddenly get a chance to come in, and we end up getting to see a really interesting assortment of things that ordinarily we might not. Um, in in my dreams, that's kind of what happens. Right. Oh, I have an empty theater suddenly. I need to fill it. Oh, here's a piece that, you know, maybe it's a little avant-garde, but hey, let's give it a try because we need something in there. I guess if the theater owners take this seriously also and say, okay, we're going to cut down rental costs. So, yeah, a, a, an off-Broadway company or something like that could come in there. Yes, definitely. Well, I think that's going to depend on what the governor does. I mean, really what needs to happen is there needs to be a rent freeze, and I mean that for everyone. For, yeah. You know, for renting your apartment. But also, I think for rental costs for like a Broadway theater, and oh, wow. to that to pro- but to go with that to protect 
the property owners, there then needs to be a halt on mortgages and a halt on taxes because, you know, if there's a rent freeze, but, but say the Schubert still have to pay taxes, well, they're just going to be hemorrhaging money. But I think it's, what I think we really need is sort of a like, great, if nobody's earning money and nobody has to spend money, then we're at a bit of an equilibrium. So if the theater owners can sort of be like, okay, we're not having to pay taxes, we're not having to pay mortgages, so we can kind of afford to let these theaters sit empty, I think that there will be a little bit more leeway. But I think that where we're getting into really dangerous territory is rent still being demanded from everybody and people not having the money for rent and then like fear owners and landlords and whatnot are not getting the money to pay their taxes and mortgages so then everybody's going into default. And a complete can, collapse, yes. Yeah, I think if we can just put a moratorium on everybody having to pay anything right now and just put a halt to it, that that would be a savior for everyone. That would really save the arts. That would, that would sa at least then if people can hold on to their dollars and not spend it in this time when they can't make more, then then eventually at least maybe they'll still have the bravura to put up uh, to put up good art. But you're right; if they have no money, the, the the heart is willing, but the wallet is is bare. Right, because then otherwise the opposite of what you suggested is going to happen, where instead of theater owners being like, "Okay, we'll give discounted rent," they're going to jack everything up. For sure, they're going to have to make up for the lost income, and then no one's going to be able to afford it. Right, you know, if they don't do a rent freeze. For private, you know, renters in New York, you know, a they're going to be dealing with. Well, I can't pay anyway, so evict me after three months. I know there's a hold on evictions, but still, after those three months, it's not like you can suddenly come up with the money, right? Or everyone's going to move out of the city, and they're suddenly going to be dealing with buildings with no tenants. <sighs> so, so I think that there does need to be a rent freeze for renters, but there also needs to be relief for property owners. So it's like. Let's just wipe the slate clean for everyone for like three months. You no know one has to pay anything, and then we'll pick up where we left off. And I'm also concerned because, for example, in New York, there is um, a 90-day freeze on mortgages. But it depends on your bank. Some some banks are sort of like, we'll stick those three months on the end of your mortgage. Right. So just, you know, start paying the fourth month. But I've also heard stories about some banks being like, yeah, you don't have to pay for three months, but on day 91, you owe us all the money. You owe us 90 months. days, yeah. And then it's like, well, what's the point of that? Right. Because well, they're still, yeah, exactly. They still have to try to earn that money, even if, uh, even if, even if they don't have to pay it right now. Right. I mean, and, and I'm so thankful for, you know, people that are trying to raise money for artists and stuff, but we need to know how to apply for those things. Because some things, like I hear all, all about all these funds being raised, like I, I messaged um, GoFundMe the other day because they say they're doing all these fundraisers for artists, you know, out of work, and I'm like, that's so great. How can I apply for some assistance? Because there's no information on that. And unemployment is completely blocked up, and you oh know, they're just I feel like there just needs to be a freeze on everything, and then we can pick back up, because otherwise we're going to get into a depression with a lot of debt. And I think the big ticket right now is not to get anybody into debt. Yeah. Um, that's that's going to be the big thing. Um, but in the meantime, it's also challenging me. I mean, I'm fortunate that I'm a writer, so I can take this time and I can, you know, create in terms of writing. And I'm, you know, getting a head start on some projects I have down the pipeline, which is great. But other artists can't. You know, if you're, I, I say just an actor, not as a disparaging thing, I just, just as a descriptor, but like if you're just an actor, you can't do a play on your own in your living room. If you're just a director, you can't like direct alone in your living room. 
so I think the other thing that's very difficult for artists right now is a lot of artists can't do their art a lot of people uh, in the indie world uh, what they're doing now they're they're literally doing zoom readings where uh, where, where they'll do the the meeting software but everyone will simply rehearse uh, online if you will and then and then they will essentially broadcast a staged reading yeah so yeah, so it, at least something's great. happening yeah and I think that sort of the podcast play, like the radio play kind of a thing, although you have yep. to be very specific in how to do that. That can be great, too. Um, but, I don't know, I think, it's, I think it's really challenging because we don't know what's going on. I think we're all very scared because we've all lost our income, but there hasn't been any relief yet. Um, we're hearing really confusing things from the White House that are not accurate. Um, You're being kind. Well trying to be neutral in my in my language here um the, the federal government has been at a deadlock and has been not not been able to do anything i'm very grateful for the governors of new york and california that are that are doing things but more does need to be done completely um but it's it, i mean we're literally living in dystopia right now and it feels like we're living in the apocalypse and it's it's really terrifying it's i mean it's it's scary and i think the thing on top of all this is it feels scary to walk outside. You know, I know that a theater that I was at, you know, there were people the day after they closed that I was in contact with that were hospitalized for the coronavirus. Oh, my. You know, and, like, I can't get a test. I've been turned away from the heels. <sighs> you know, and so I think it's also scary because when we walk outside, there's this kind of primal fear of, it, like, am I breathing it in? You know, like, it's... it's Obviously, but it's it's this fear of like I can't go anywhere, I can't test anything. I can't, it's a fear of another person walking down the street that almost feels like invasion of the body snatchers esque. Completely. Um, and I think it's this weird. I don't know. It's this weird kind of terror that's going through everything. It's um, it's funny you say that. I not. I I work with uh with Terror TV. I work with a, a streaming horror film. Station and mm -hmm. I'm interviewing a group and they do and they have a lot of indie productions. They're known for their independent films and I was I was talking to a lot of the independent filmmakers and they're all saying the same thing. The horror movie is now. Uh, yep. We I, really I, I I took out the trash yesterday evening and stared up and down my block and there wasn't one person out and I actually heard a yeah. door slam in someone's home on the block somewhere. I thought I'm in an episode of The Walking Dead. Look at this. Uh, yeah. it's, well, it's it's terrifying, and it's scary because people are dying. And I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, if there's something really viscerally real and painful when, like, I, you know, you know, we're all checking in on each other, which is great, but it's not just normal. Like, hey, just want to make sure you're okay. It's literally like, please don't let anything happen to you because I wouldn't be okay. Like, if you died, like, and that's not. An overreaction. Have you yeah. had that happen? Do you had do you have people in your life who, who you're you're worried about on that level? Oh, a hundred percent. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Mm. Like like very much so. And that's the thing also about the theater community and New York in general, you know, there's a reason there's so many cases and that it's sort of sorry for the term, but kind of ground zero in America for the yes. virus right now is yes. It's a small community, which normally is great. I mean, I know that if I walk through Times Square pretty much any time of the day, I'm going to run into a friend. 
which is great. It feels it feels like a small community within this bigger metropolis. But you know, people that I know were working. Everybody I know came in contact with somebody who's had it, and it this disease is it's not just killing the elderly or people with pre-existing you know conditions or whatnot. It it can kill anyone. And I mean, it, it before the shutdown, it was literally, "Are you on your way to work? Are you okay? Have, are you lost?" I mean, it, everybody's. I mean, literally checking in on each other to the point of, "Please don't die." Yeah. You know, like that—that's that's where it is, and it's—it's terrible. I mean, Terrence McNally passed away. Yeah, I was about to say from, that. Yes. From the coronavirus. I mean, yep. He was older. He had a lot of other health issues, but he died from the coronavirus. Yeah. And. I'm like one degree, I, I didn't know him personally, but I'm one degree separated from him. And it's, it's, it's horrifying. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not a gay person. I'm not a gay man. I didn't live through the, not being a gay man is specific to this, but I didn't live through the AIDS crisis, really the height of the AIDS crisis in the 70s and 80s and, and further on. But, so I, I'm not the person to speak to about this, but when there's analogies to it, I can understand to a degree of, of this idea of, you know, a, a horrible virus pandemic going through and killing your loved ones and there not being anything to be done about it and the federal government not caring. I mean, it, it was a, a different situation, but from my vantage point, from a distance, I, I, I understand. And, you know, that point of like, you know, when I, when I really... I still do need to go get tested. And that thing of like, not only can I not get a test, I'm getting turned away from the ER. And even if I was admitted to the ER, they're like, the only thing we could do is put you on a ventilator. There's no treatment whatsoever. It's, it, it's like living in a horror movie. And so it, it, it's like, which is the luster of two evils, feeling like you're going to starve to death and be evicted from your home or go out into the streets and catch something that's going to kill you. You know, it's like, I, I, I don't know how I don't know how we deal with this. I really I, I don't. I was going to say that uh, I'm I'm close enough in Polonius years that I remember the AIDS crisis, and mm. and I remember losing friend after friend, and mm. uh, it was and at that point uh, it, you didn't immediately say it. It was it was not a compassionate uh, passing. Yeah, uh, and I had right. friends who said you know their parents or their their loved ones or whatever would say, "Oh, they died of a heart attack, or uh, or, or they had a kidney right. problem, or whatever." And and yeah. it was awful, and it was heart wrenching. And yeah. you're right; I'm seeing that now everywhere. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing I mean, it happen. But at least we can at least we can now say yeah. it. it's the coronavirus. We can't. We, we we're not covering it up, but it's it's right. just and as heart wrenching. We know we know what it is. It's not. There's not like a judgment about it. About some people feeling like, oh, well, you're bad if you got it. And we know how it's spread. You know, there's there's big differences, but, you know, I, 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 I see some similarities, and it's a horrific thing. It's a horrific thing to be experiencing. And literally, I'm, I'm like checking on people daily to be like, are you feeling any symptoms? Did you go anywhere? Like, The bottom line of which they are both com- uh, comparable is is the loss of something amazing. Uh, yeah. uh, yes, Terrence McNally was an older man, but who knows what 
great wisdom would still have come from him, and and we're not going to get it. I, I mean, mean, he just did the visit a couple years ago. I'm there you go. Telling about a couple years, but yeah. you know, like the visit was not that long ago, right? Uh, uh, but and even you know, yes, we talk about great artists and whatever, but it's that's for everyone. Uh, a colleague of mine lost his father-in-law, and he went on and on about how what a wonderful man he was, and he was a father to him after his own father was dead for thirty years. And and yeah. again, what joy could is now lost to him because this this yeah. this surrogate father is gone? What what joy from this yeah. person? The the tiniest situation. What joy is gone from them? And and for yeah. people to not move quickly, for people, for for the governments, for for the authorities to not move quickly, it is now a criminal act. Uh, well, Donald Trump. I was watching MSNBC, and they. I, I love Rachel Maddow so much. They were they were they were talking about um, his quote yesterday, where he wants he said he wants to reopen things quickly because he doesn't want the. Um, I don't. I'm going to butcher this, but it was something like he doesn't want the cure to be worse than the problem. And they were specifically saying, they're like, the problem is people dying. So what could possibly be worse than that? And they're like, well, in his mind, the problem is the economy. Of course. He doesn't look popular. And and it's like, it, <laughs> we, I, I, don't, I don't understand. I mean, I feel like, for lack of a better term, like I feel despair, and I don't want to say that because that means the, the absence of hope, but I just feel like the world has changed so much, and I feel like there's nobody out to take care of us or protect us, and I feel like it's just going to keep getting worse, and I feel like our entire world is entering a state of despair. We and can't let I'm, it. I, we can't I let it. A, right. I mean, I, I happen to be a Christian. I sometimes feel nervous saying that because Christianity has done a lot of really horrible things, and people said really terrible things in the name of Christianity, and I do not associate myself with any of that, but, you know, faith in that is kind of like the only thing getting through to some degree that, you know, that there, there is hope and that we are loved, even if it's not, you know, from people in this world that have power, you know, so... I don't know. I just I, I hope that everybody's really praying for our world because I think that we really need it. You know, whatever your beliefs or associations are, I just think that we need we need to pray for each other. We need to pray for the world and for what's going on right now. The big belief, you know, love. right now beyond religion yeah. is each other. We we need to whether it's something as silly as, and and it's a good point you brought up about about all these funds and how to access these funds. Whether it's, yeah. it's something as simple as saying, hey, I just got a grant, please go to this website at this link at this email. To, yeah. to if someone with $5 to spare to send money, to send yeah. food, to send something to those who don't. I think yeah. the bottom line, and it's, it's, it's both said and I guess encouraging, we need to just say, okay, we, are, we, are, we have to help each other. Until, yeah. until someone else does it for us, we have to help each other. And even if it's on, like in... I mean, donating to the big organizations is great, and you should totally do that, but I think that almost working on a smaller community scale, like, if you know of somebody in the arts who's been affected, Venmo them personally. There you go, thank you. Know, you. Be, like, be, be like, what? Hey, like, hey, I heard the Broadway Theater shut down, I know you work there, what do you need? Do you need money for rent? Do you need food? Like, what do you need? And, like, do it on a personal scale, too, because you... I mean, yes, help the big organizations 100%. They're doing great, great work. But also, 
if you know of individuals, because that's also the way that we get individual needs met. If, um, if, if you have enough money to donate, if you're going to donate $100, yeah. instead donate $80 and call up your buddy who is now out yeah. of a job and say, I got 20 bucks. Can it buy you some food? Can What can it yeah. do for you? Just something. You're absolutely right. Brilliant thought. Yeah. Really brilliant thought. And and also, if this does end sooner rather than later, and you do have funds, produce someone's work. You know, like, rent out a theater for a week and, and get somebody show up that couldn't get done or something like that. Because I think that we also have to help get the ball rolling on, you know, the arts coming back sooner rather than later. We can't just wait for the big, you know, the quote-unquote, you know, big folks in the sky to, you know, get it started again. Like, we, we've got to start, but... I also, I also wonder, because the mentality, like what we were talking about, about it feeling like we're looking in a horror movie, even when things are reopened and it's, and it's like, it's safe to go back outside again and we can open the Broadway theaters, I wonder if it's going to take a long time for people's mentality to change. Because even if right now, like Rachel Maddow came on and said, hey, we found the miracle cure, it's okay, we're reopening everything tomorrow. I would still feel panicky going outside. Oh my gosh, yeah, of and course. I, and I wonder how long it's going to take before people feel safe going back and doing that, even if it is actually safe to do it. Give know, it a month, exactly. maybe in increments, but I would say yeah. from the moment everything is fine, quote-unquote, give it another month at least. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I was, I was, a, I was a wee little bairn at the time, <laughs> but when 9-11 happened, I remember that big ad that, came out with all the Broadway performers in Times Square being like, you know, we come support Broadway theater. We need to be together. You know, we all need to laugh again. And people went back and it was, and, and that was terrifying because everybody was scared. Like, well, if I'm in a big gathering place, am I going to be bombed next? You know, and it became this like, no, we're going to rally together. But I also really hope that maybe this can somehow be an impetus for things to positively change in our world. You know, everything from, we need to deal with pollution. All of a sudden, the pollution has majorly dropped because all the factors have, you know, shut down. We need to deal with, you know, getting health care for everybody. However that happens, we need to deal with student debt. We need to deal with paid sick leave. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of things in our world that we, we need to deal with, and hopefully this can be a giant wake-up call of, like, no, we need to do, deal with them sooner rather than later. Because if these things had been addressed, we wouldn't be in the crisis that we're in now. We need to. Uh, I, I'm. I'm. Uh, I, w I was born Jewish. I'll just leave it at that. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, And and I came from a religious home, and I actually worked for Jewish organizations at one point. And one thing, whenever the Holocaust is mentioned, no one just yeah, says, "Oh, yeah. horrible." They say, uh, "They say this can never happen again." Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so we need to, okay, e even if the birds are singing and the skies are clear and everything's fine, we need to say yeah. to ourselves, this can never happen again. Right. Uh, I mean, we, we need to set it up so that nobody feels that they have to go to work sick. I mean, who knows how many cases were spread before the shutdown of people who went to work frightening. because they, they, couldn't afford to take off. Right. We need to give people access to emergency health care. You know, however that happens, it's a very complicated thing. I'm not the person to create a new medical system for this country, but something needs to give. You know, we need to stop treating billionaires and corporations like they're God. You know, we need to start caring about everybody. 
and, um, and, and not so to sound can. like Bernie Sanders, but right. uh, we need to not let them happen to us yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. And, you, you know, it's because, because if those things had been in place before the coronavirus happened, it would still be really bad, but it wouldn't be quite this horrific at this particular moment. I completely agree. You know, and it's, I mean, and it's scary. And I mean, for all I know, I'm sick with it and could suddenly, you know, you know, be dying. And God I mean, forbid. I mean, the thing is, I do, I'm, I'm saying that and it's, and it's kind of true. Like, it's not even me just like making a joke. I mean, it's partially a joke, obviously, but it's also like, yeah, that's, that's, that's a possibility, you know, you know, and I think it's the same thing of, you know, us, like, kids who had to start learning how to go to school with active shooter drills, it's, it's like there's a thing in the world now where you just kind of are always prepared that you could just die at any second from something. But, you know, right now it's like, you know, I, I could be sick with it, and in a week I could be, you know, dying in the hospital or something, like, and I, I certainly pray that that doesn't happen. And do everything to try to make sure it doesn't. Let's say philosophically that's possible. Yeah. That's what every human being in this country right now is dealing with. And we need we need leadership, we need support. But even on a small scale, like reach out to your friends, do what you can to help, you know, let us feel that there are people who care about each other and keep keep making art. I, I really encourage everybody to look up on YouTube Neil Gaiman, who I adore. He's a brilliant um oh, love him. fantasy yes. writer. Um, he gave a commencement speech, but there's a specific part of it that I think is in isolation. You just type in Neil Gaiman, G-A-I-M, oh gosh, am I going to misspell his name? G-A-I-M-A-N. M-A-N, yeah, yeah. Neil Gaiman, because um, some people mispronounce it Gaiman. Right. Um, Neil Gaiman, I mean, you type in um, Make Good Art. It's a speech, it's also been turned into a book, but he gives this brilliant, brilliant speech, basically saying that no matter what's going on in life, and terrible things, and he makes it funny too, but like make good art, like use it and make good art, and that's how we can, you know, advance things. I'm a little terrified in like 18 months, how many new musicals and plays called like Corona exclamation mark about a pandemic are going to show up, and, <laughs> so maybe you, don't make them all about a pandemic, but, but talk about what's going on, you know, with our world and with you and all that stuff. And on that, I'll leave it by saying, I hope there are a million musicals. Uh, uh, called <laughs> Corona, and I hope there are people to simply produce them. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, and people to do them. You know, to just to just do them and want to make them happen. And I mean, hey, I'll do I'll do art in the street if I have to, but we we need it. And I hope that this for those of you who aren't artists, you know, if this is not like the thing that you do, I hope that this really helps you pay attention to how important the arts are. I mean, we hear so often like, ah, oh, get rid of the arts classes in schools and, you know, get rid of the arts funding and all this stuff. It's like, where would you be right now without entertainment of any form? Like, it's important. It's really, really important. I had a colleague who uh, said, uh, at least we can be entertained as long as the power is on. That, that right. can be the next nightmare. <laughs> well, hey, if your power is not on, I will I will come to your living room, and I've been practicing since I was three. I will do a one-person show in your living room. I have all the musicals memorized. Do you hear that, it's folks? Like, Ashley Griffin yep. is now going to do a tap dance on your kitchen floor. So, so I'll do, like, the entirety of Pippin in your living room, like, hands down. I have, like, a one-man archive of every Broadway show. 
Don't touch me. <laughs> well, it, it'll 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 give a new meaning when you say the curtain has gone up and you're talking about someone's drapes. Yep. Ashley, there thank you, you so much. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. This has been so thank informative. You. Oh my God, uh, to hear the Broadway perspective of this and everything is absolutely phenomenal. Thank you. Please oh, stay safe. You. Please wash your hands and all the other good things. You too. And and, you and I look forward to meeting you and talking about Hamlet with you. Yes. Once, uh, well, once when the you get a chance. Up. When you get a chance, like, seriously message me because we are really trying to bring it back, and I'd love to talk to you about that possibility, you know, because we should make good art, and what else do we have to do right now? You're so. on. You're on. You will hear awesome. from me shortly. Thank you again Perfect. so Thank much. Thank you so much. My I really appreciate it. Ciao.